Our guest tonight is a conservative writer, speaker, and political operative. He's also a journalist who has been banned from Twitter and is a self-proclaimed, and I'm quoting this, number one MAGA e-thought, Jacob Wool. Welcome to the show. Well, hey there. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So I started looking into you back in like 2016 when the election was going on with Trump and all these things. And I noticed that you were originally a very, very young um, hedge fund guy. You were actually the youngest guy to start a hedge fund. And I'm just curious, how did you go from being the youngest guy to start a hedge fund to now involve with politics and calling yourself the number one MAGA ethos? What, what happened along the way? Well, what happened was uh, actually kind of interesting. Vice came out, uh, Vice Media came out to do a documentary about my hedge fund. They came to my compound uh, in the Hollywood Hills to sort of film this documentary. And of course, it was around election season. So among other things, they asked me, who did I think would win the election? And I said, Trump's going to win. And I had posted at the time a map, uh, you know, on my Instagram and, and elsewhere, um, that was sort of my my prediction uh state by state and it was almost exactly correct down to the point now they had intended that they were going to sort of make fun of me uh but there were some delays in their production they didn't end up getting the documentary out until after the election and of course they had to eat their words they came back out and filmed some more but really my predicting trump's victory uh and supporting it very early on uh i you know i was a regular people forget this i was a regular on cnn and hln uh in the early days uh of the 2016 election uh and i was the millennial trump supporter one of the earliest trump supporters and so you know being sort of on record with all this stuff and then ending up being correct and what people viewed as a long shot was how i uh, sort of launched from finance straight into politics more quickly than i ever could have imagined yeah, that's very interesting because I saw that too. That when you posted the map, of the election, like you were like almost dead on. It was probably the most accurate predictions of the whole election. So, with that said, though, and that's very impressive. Where I mean, obviously, it's a little early right now, but where do you see twenty twenty going? Like, what's your prediction so far with that? Well, I think twenty twenty is going to be close. I, you know, a lot of Trump supporters have a perception that this is going to be some kind of a landslide. And I don't see that in the cards. For one thing, and I think this is the biggest sub-story, subplot that nobody's talking about, is you have this situation where many of these swing states, Trump won by slim margins in various precincts. And many of the people that voted for Trump in that election have died. They've passed away uh, since then. Um, how many? Well, we don't know exactly, but the number ranges into the tens of thousands. They, they're older folks and they've died of natural causes over the years. Um, that's going to be the substory that I think defines the election is whether or not young voters coming out can over can, can sort of uh, overwhelm uh, Trump in these swing states. Um, and that's that question is yet to be answered. I think Trump will win because all of the factors that we do know point to that. Uh, but there are some some X factors that could that could swing the election the other way. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, yeah. Um, so, Jacob, who, who do you think? Uh, who do you think the Democratic nominee will be? Well, I think as things are set up right now, 
um, all all things being equal, Biden's going to be crowned. Uh, I think you know he could probably run the tables in uh, in various states, especially as we get into some of these southern states. He's going to pick up delegates like there's no tomorrow. Uh, Bloomberg will be interesting. He will throw delegates to Biden, I'm sure. Uh, if Bloomberg wins as many, you know, all he needs is 10 percent of the delegates. And then Mike Bloomberg decides who the nominee is at a broker convention. And that's how it works. Um, so he could he could play. He could sure be a kingmaker. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, we're certainly getting down to the wire here. But if the Democrats really wanted to win, uh, they would get Hillary Clinton up off the couch and they'd run her again and they'd rig elections and do whatever they needed to do to uh, get her the nomination if they wanted to win, uh, because Hillary's already shown that she can win the popular vote. Uh, and basically she could run on a platform of and she's already made comments to this effect. I won already and I'll beat him again. This time the Russians won't rig it. You know, so so that'll be her, her pitch. And it could probably uh do as well as anything else in the election. So uh, Biden's set to be crowned. You have these sort of X factors uh, that, that could change things. But uh, all other things being equal, Biden's going to outperform and, and be the nominee. Hmm. So uh, kind of pivoting off of uh, the U.S. elections, what are your thoughts on uh, Brexit? You know, yesterday they finally left the EU. Do you think like other countries might go and follow suit? Well, you know, for, it's, it's very interesting that the hope of the bureaucratic class in England was that they could sort of just bore people out of Brexit and never actually Brexit. And it took them a handful of elections, not just one, uh, to finally get Brexit done. Uh, now, to that point, Brexit isn't truly done. I mean, there's been some symbolic movings of flags and saying we're no longer a member, this, that and the other. Uh, but it remains unclear whether Britain's going to keep paying these massive uh, fees, I don't know what else to call them, to the EU. Um, in the best deal scenario before, they were set to pay $30 billion, uh, a year uh, to, to the EU. They pay these massive fees, and all indications are they're still going to pay these fees. So I don't know that Brexit really is done. Um, and, and I think that this this could be a symbolic victory that—, that uh, doesn't actually bear out in in uh, real terms, but but we'll have to see. It is good that they've finally done it. I think there are other countries where you have nationalist movements rising up, uh, like Italy uh, and, and uh, Austria, certainly, are, are places where you see this. So I, I hope that we continue to see this. I, I don't think that these multilateral, multinational uh, bureaucratic, technocratic, managerial bodies work very well for anybody, besides the bureaucrats, of course, uh, who get $3 a day per diems to eat at the best restaurants, chauffeurs, and uh, massive salaries. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So do you think that Britain's kind of already so far gone, even with Brexit, they're really not going to be do it, like changing much in terms of like their culture and like deep down? Yes, I do. I mean, Britain is finished from a demographic standpoint. The most popular baby name in Britain now is Mohammed, and there's no indication that any of that is changing. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, the British society, um, the traditional British society, that is, is impotent and uh, passive. And the uh, new society of Britain, the, the, the new... Uh, rather Islamic society, if you will, uh, is aggressive. They're bold. They're unafraid. They're unabashed. 
And uh, these the, this, these are the, the people that are going to decide the future of Britain. And Britain remains a place where, uh, God forbid, a person like Tommy Robinson reports on you know mm. violent Muslim rape gangs, uh, he'll get thrown in jail. So th- these are the I think I think Britain is not a place where you know people should should take a consolation prize and move back there. It's it's a disaster. Mm. Okay. okay. Uh, hey, uh, so Trump. Uh, this last uh, recently, uh, Trump unveiled the uh, vision for peace for the Middle East. What do you, what do you think about the plan? Do you think it actually stands a chance, or, or will be adopted, or like what do you what do you see with that? Well, uh, the short answer is no. Uh, I I have long wondered why we waste any time on these peace plans. It's something that every president does. It's, I guess they assume obligatory. Every president wants to do it. I think that the sort of light at the end of the tunnel, the what if we did get it done, uh, sort of blinds them. It's it's blinding because they think it would be so great and so historical and so great for their legacy. Uh, but the reality is that the Palestinian population on one side of Israel in the West Bank chose Mahmoud Abbas as their leader, as their president. He's one of the architects of the 1972 Munich Olympics massacre. Uh, that's who they choose as as their leader, a terrorist kingpin. If you go to the other side of the country uh, and you go to the Gaza Strip, you have a society that chooses Hamas as their leadership. Uh, and we don't even need to get into um, their accolades in, in the terror world. So. On its face, I think negotiating with people that make those sorts of uh, choices of leadership is a futile task. It's a task that has a very low probability of success. It has no probability of success. And sure enough, we've seen that. The the peace deal was announced, and immediately Palestinians started launching rockets, protesting violently in the streets. This is what happens. And so what I'd like to see is is the U.S. just stop wasting our time and money on on these types of... uh, deals because they're, they're, they're not deals. They're pieces of paper. And, uh, I just don't, I don't see any uh, future in them. Hmm. Well, uh, interesting. Uh, what do what do you do think? Cause I, I guess Netanyahu's under investigation, I guess for some, uh, for some sort of corruption type thing. What, 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 what do you think of that? Well, it's interesting. Israel has a, history of investigating and, in fact, in indicting their leaders. Uh, Netanyahu's not the first one to be uh, criminally investigated or even the first one to be charged. Uh, one of their presidents did time in prison. This is a, this is a pattern in Israel. Uh, it's a pattern that I think we're seeing coming here to the United States. Um, and it's a disturbing one. And I, you know, I think it's tough in these parliamentary countries because you, you don't have the kinds of longstanding norms that we have in the U.S., like uh, like executive privilege, like uh, uh, Article Two powers. Um, you just don't have these these setups over there. Uh, so I, I think Netanyahu will stick it out. It's a matter of putting together a parliamentary uh, coalition, and at some point or another, he will, he will or he won't. In either event, I don't think he's going to do any time in jail, and I think that that's a a real political witch hunt. Last question I'll ask about Israel, because I see on the right sort of a uh, 
new sort of division forming up where you have some people on the right that are pro-Israel, a lot of the evangelicals, a lot of more religious people. But then you see people on the right like the Groypers that are very anti-Israel. Do you think the right's going to stay pro-Israel or do you think, you know, the attitude's going to change at all? Well, I think broadly speaking, the right's going to stay pro-Israel. Uh, if you just look at different groups, I mean, even among young people, you have Turning Points USA conferences that have 10,000 kids show up from around the country. You have New Right type conferences that you know are very anti-Israel. That's in fact probably the main bent of their uh, of their gatherings, and uh, they have a few dozen people show up, maybe a hundred people. Uh, and so, broadly speaking, even young people are still kind of. Uh, uh, in the same generation as kind of older evangelicals, uh, in the same belief system, that is, in terms of Israel. So I think, we're, broadly speaking, we're going to see continued support for Israel and this new kind of anti-Israel movement that certainly makes a lot of noise. Uh, I think people see it for what it is. It's animated by Jew hatred, and mm. uh, it's not something that uh, that's going to catch on. Yeah, I agree. I think the right's going to stay pr pretty pro-Israel, especially with a Christian base at the hold of it. And to pivot over to more of the stuff that you've done in the past that people have uh, heard your name from, because you've held press conferences about Kamala Harris, Pocahontas, I think even Robert Mueller, you had some stuff on. And people would say that you're spreading fake news. The I think even the Twitter, like one of the higher ups of Twitter on Joe Rogan said that you're like acting like a Russian meddling in our elections. What do you say to all these accusations that keep getting thrown around, like that everybody's a Russian bot or a Russian meddler? Yeah. And, since then, you've been banned from Twitter. So what do you think about the big tech censorship then? Well, first of all, I do meddle in American elections. <laughs> and I'm an American, and, and as such, I'm allowed to do so. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't see the problem with meddling in our elections. The CEO of Twitter does. Uh, certainly, I take the fight right to the left. And I, and I do so in a way that I think a lot of people uh, have in the past. Unfortunately, some of these people either aren't alive any longer, in the case of people like Lee Atwater, uh, or they're in a kind of retired state, if you talk about people like Karl Rove, or they are you know, the subject of witch hunts and set to be sentenced this week, uh, in the case of Roger Stone. So somebody's got to take the mantle. Somebody has to bring the fight to the left and be afraid to uh, not hold anything back be prepared to deal in the world of rumor and online uh, rumor at that. And certainly I'm happy to do so. And, and people have seen that over time. Other than yourself, of course, who would you say are the best fighters in the right right now? Well, of course, I'd have to give a nod to my, my sort of uh, partner in all of this, uh, Jack Berkman. But otherwise, you've got a lot of great people. You've got people like Laura Loomer, who's now running for Congress. But mm -hmm. She has. She's just been an absolute bulldog uh, for the last number of years. Uh, you have people like Mike Cernovich, who uh, has been taking a sort of a hiatus, uh, but I'm sure is going to be a huge uh, player in the 2020 election. Uh, and, and really, so so many others. I think of Ali Alexander, for instance, yeah. uh, and the work that he did to defrock Kamala Harris um, by pointing out rightfully that she's not. She's not an American black in the sense that American blacks define their identity and uh, really took, took, took care of her. Um, 
so there's a lot of great people out there but but that's that's just to name a few so like sort of um sort of kind of pivoting you know back you mentioned kamala harris and you know just democrats in general what do you think was the whole reason for this big push for impeachment do you think it was largely the result of um than just having terrible candidates out there? Because I can't see, like, the only real one that I see that has any sort of potential, you know, would have been Tulsi Gabbard, and I think she's pretty much dead in the water right now. Yeah, she was she was dead in the water um, from from the start. She was never going to have uh, any any chance of gaining uh, any, any broad support. And she didn't help herself by getting on the stage at these debates and being completely boring completely scripted, uh, unwilling to go on the attack in most cases. And so she didn't really help her, herself either. Um, but, but uh, you know, when you, talk, when you talk about the impeachment push, uh, it was terribly unwise in an election year to run an impeachment. The losses that Democrats are going to suffer politically have already been told and can only get worse. This is a result of Nancy Pelosi not being able to hold down her party, uh, not being able to hold together the caucus. Nancy Pelosi is up there in age. She's drugged up. She uses all kinds of drugs. Um, she's just not the, she's not the same person she used to be. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is go back. You know, go back and watch her talking about impeachment of George Bush in 2006 on 60 Minutes. Different person, just a different person, completely. Um, that was when she first first became speaker and, and was kind of new and exciting. And now she's now she's uh, washed up. But she couldn't hold down the caucus. You had your AOCs, your Rashida Tlaibs, these uh, extremists who were going to push for impeachment, and and they did. And she couldn't she couldn't hold it together. And uh, as such, they're going to suffer losses. So last question for me. Now, I know you're originally like a big name from economics and whatnot. Now, what are your thoughts on uh, like ETFs? Like I keep seeing these articles about them saying that like there's going to be a big uh, sort of crash with ETFs because people aren't going to be paying attention to the smaller stocks. Do you think that's going to happen? And, you know, if you have any sort of predictions for the economy as a whole? Well, ETFs are a lower fee way to track indexes. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. And at the end of the day, if you're picking between ETFs and mutual funds, as most people are, that's really what what they're talking about doing. They're, you know, it's not a debate between uh, should I be a three stock portfolio stock picker competing with David Tepper or should I buy ETFs? No, nobody's asking that question. If you're really going to be a stock picker and an active trader, then you're going to do that anyway. Uh, and maybe you'll supplement with ETFs here and there. But the debate for most people is whether ETFs or mutual funds are, are a better option. And uh, mutual funds can be a better option. This is this is what people have kind of left out of the conversation. Um, and when you talk about something like healthcare, the ETF is what it is. It's going to track a set of stocks. Uh, but there may be a mutual fund out there, and you'd have to look at the pro formas and look at the performance and make sure that what you're looking at is after cost uh performance and there are cases where in particular instances uh maybe it's growth maybe it's international maybe whatever category whatever genre we're talking about mutual funds have in fact in some cases outperformed their respective competitors in the etf world uh, so i'd encourage people to keep an open mind and just look and and 
of course, past performance is no no guarantee or or even indicator of future performance. So take it with a grain of salt. But uh, there are many many a case where people that have been in mutual funds have in fact done better than their friend next door who was in ETFs. So I'm not dogmatic about it. Um, there there are there are instances where where one is better. And of course, people have this this discussion about market liquidity and are you know ETF setting up systemic risk and all of these things. Uh, it's quite possible that they are. Thankfully, these days we have very good, you know, people can debate on a, on a intellectual level and a political level and a philosophical level whether you should have these or not. But there are very effective circuit breakers in the market right now. Um, if some news headline were to run through AP by accident, you know, or it got hacked and, and the news headline said that, China actually has 125 million with Wuhan fever, let's say. Um, that would cause the market to dive. The good news is that trading would stop after it was down. Uh, in some, some instances, it's 9%. In others, it's 8 It depends whether you're talking about futures or equities or different markets. But the circuit breakers work, and they will give uh, markets a chance to cool off and I think eliminate a lot of this concern that, well, there's these big ETFs and it's like trying to turn around a ship and they won't be able to keep up with liquidity. I'm not so worried about that. Uh, I think I think that risk is is overplayed. Well, you see a lot of Democrats a few months ago talking about that there's going to be this big recession with Trump's second term, all this stuff. Do you think there's actually going to be a recession coming soon or if there's going to be a student loan debt recession of sorts? Well, I think what you're looking at is basically over the next five years, and I know I'm probably not the only person to say this, but you have something like a 20% chance of recession each year, uh, and it doesn't roll over. Uh, so because it doesn't happen one year doesn't necessarily make it more likely the next. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you do have this sort of embedded risk of recession. And nobody can quite tell you when the right time to get off the train is. If somebody knew, uh, well, they, they would be the, the genius that the market's never seen, but no one does. So you don't have a crystal ball, but you have something like an 11 percent uh, or rather a 20 percent chance each year. The other thing that you have is, is you have a situation where uh, Trump has, I think, bullied the Fed into – running insane monetary policy, talking about, you know, the, the Fed now versus what people might consider to be um, reasonable. And they kind of have to because the rest of the world is is, is doing that as well. Uh, but, you know, th this this is this is something that could cause the market to not go down. You, you could have a situation where the Fed says, OK, well, we'd just rather go to negative rates than have a double digit um type recession that that could happen uh, so we we don't really know and, and it's it's a whole new universe with with these kind of rates mm -hmm. around the world it's a whole different world yeah so last thing i'll ask because we always ask this of all our guests is as we roll into 2020 where can people find you to keep up on your meddling operations your bodybuilding goals whatever you have planned where can people find you well the best place is my instagram at jacob a wool uh j-a-c-o-b-a-w-o-h-l uh it won't pop up if you search it because i'm shadow banned on there and you can find all the links to my website and everything else there uh, but that's the best place uh, for people to find me instagram at jacob a wool
And you also have a Telegram channel, correct? That's right. Uh, Telegram, it's uh, t.me, letter t.me, slash Jacob A. Wall. Fantastic. Thank you, Jacob, for coming on. We loved it. You were very insightful and brought a really new, interesting, cool perspective to our show. So really appreciate you taking the time to come on and hope you have a nice day. You bet. Thanks, guys. Uh, Keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. Take care. Take care. Take care.